real life superpowers. I had no choice. I had to keep going, no matter what, and and all the the stuff that I had to deal with had to wait. And sometimes, and I will admit, there were days I ran like two hours, you know, maybe more, to just to kind of exhaust, you know, so I'd be too tired to think. Welcome to Real Life Superpowers, where we explore the journeys and insights of successful individuals. In this episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing Pamela Becker, a marketing executive for some of Israel's leading technology companies. After she was widowed with three small children in 2008, Pamela co-founded and remains the active chairperson of the Israeli charity Jeremy's Circle, which supports children and teens coping with cancer or cancer loss in their young families. We'll hear about Pamela's insights on entrepreneurship and innovation, as well as her perspectives on the importance of giving back to the community and making a difference in people's lives through philanthropy. So let's welcome Pamela to the interview and learn more about her inspiring journey. Real Life Superpowers Pamela, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So, wow. Um, I think we have to talk about Jeremy's circle first, just because that's so, that stands out so much from your life story. And we would love to hear how you describe that and what exactly it is and how it came to be. So Jeremy's Circle is a community for children and teenagers who are coping with cancer or cancer loss in their families. So that means uh, children with a parent or a sibling who has cancer or, or who had died of cancer. Um, we believe in bringing these kids together so that they see that their situation, there is normalcy to their situation. That is their normal. Um, and what makes these kids special is what makes them special, you know, that uh, they can run the fa- f- a faster kilometer than anybody else in the class or jump higher or sing um, in lower tones, whatever it is. But, the, but when the kids get together and not, they're not the only one with, whose mom has no hair or whose dad is in a wheelchair, um, the message they get the message without having to say it that that uh, they're not alone in this and very tragic personal circumstances brought you to make this happen right yeah we basically felt like or we had no choice um i i lost my husband jeremy to cancer when um our children our children were one and a half five and seven and and they needed support And there was nothing. So, so, I mean, it was selfish of me. I had to find them a community. So I made one. Um, and it, it didn't come from nothing. It came from uh, the fact that my, my daughter, who was si- when she was six, said to me, she, um, you know, I was going to a support group and she wanted to come along. She, you know, where's her support group when I was, you know, there was, I was going to a caregiver's support group. And it took a long time, but I found another little girl whose dad had chronic cancer. And that meeting made a huge impact on her. Um, 
because a lot of what a lot of a lot of people would say to her, you're not the only one. This is not the first time. This You're not the only little girl that this has happened to. And she would be like, you know, show me the money. Wait, what, what, prove it. Um, and during Jeremy's illness, he was, um, he was in treatment for about 14 months. And I have to say they were brutal, brutal months. Um, he was uh, diagnosed with stomach cancer. Um, and, uh, the treatments that he went through, a, a horrific surgery, um, and, and the, between the chemo and, and the radiation, um, he was exhausted and felt terrible most of the time. I'm, I'm sorry to say, and our friends and family, they would take our three small children, um, and their booster seats and push them into their small cars <laughs> somehow and take them over the weekends. They would take them out so that they would have some normalcy, you know. So if so if um, our friends were going to take their own kids for a hike, they took our kids too, or to a movie or a barbecue or whatever it was. So our kids, our kids had a chance to have feel a little bit normal because if honestly, if they had been home, I would have just um, shoved them in front of a TV. I was so exhausted. And so was Jeremy. And we would have been telling them to be quiet all the time so that Jeremy could rest and so and, and so forth. And this gave Jeremy and me a little bit of an opportunity to kind of reload, reload our batteries and the kids to reload their batteries the way that kids do. Um, so, so when he died and I had these three children who needed a community, needed support, something, and nothing existed, we, we made it happen. That, and that's, that's how Jeremy Circle happened. Uh, on that sense, I, like, I have to say, like, I understand their circle, but like, how did you deal with the idea that they saw part of Jeremy's life or remembered him as he is? And maybe he's, they're missing a little bit of their superhuman, great person he was, or his great story, or how you met him. Um, and how do you like support feeling normal, but just knowing that maybe they didn't get the whole idea, you know what I mean? Like, or he didn't get the, let's I'll say this, he didn't get the opportunity to, you know, be Jeremy all of the time. Um, like, how do you support that in a child? That's a tough question. Um, the kids were when Jeremy died. Um, well, when he got sick, my my youngest was only six months old, um, and the the another was four, and 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 the oldest was six, and so they all experienced Jeremy differently. For example, um, when no one could get the baby to stop crying, all he had to do was walk in the room. And he had that magic touch. I don't know. And um, uh, and Zoe, when they, you know, he was weak. But Zoe, Zoe was like a serious little girl. You know, she was very serious and she loved books and stuff. And she would crawl into bed with him and they would read books and make funny. Um, on, he had a Mac. And there was like some, I don't remember, you know, that I don't know if you remember that app on the, on the, on the MacBook that you could make funny, like you put your took pictures and it distorted it and everything. I don't know how many hours they spent doing this, but they spent a lot. And, um, and so they, um, but they were very good at being quiet together. 
because that's the kind of kid Zoe was. And Leo, on the other hand, was this ball of energy that just, you know, bounced around. He's still a little bit like that, but um, hope, I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but he's still, you know, he would, whatever. And so, and so the relationship, the, the connection between all of them were very different. And um, the truth is, is I see Jeremy in all of them. And, um, and it's true. It's, it's t- what, one of the hardest things I don't, I mean, I have not lost my parents, thank God. But I think one of the things for children who lose parents early is, 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 is holding on to memories. You know, they, what, do, what do they remember? What is real? What was told to them? If it wasn't a video, how do you keep track of it? And so forth. Um, so um, I do, what I do tell them a lot is I see, because I, I see Jeremy in each of them. And I tell them, this is like, this is this is where you are so like your father, you know. This is, um, and I was in love with him, so I think this is a good thing, you know. This is this is uh, one of the things that I really, you know. And you've got that, and I think um, Jeremy Circle, definitely Jeremy was such an incredible person. Um, he, uh, you know, he was jealous you know, of old people, because they got, because they were going to get to be old. Um, but he also felt when our, when our friends took our, our kids out, um, and, um, and the way, I mean, one weekend, they even took them to the kibbutz with them, like they spent the whole weekend, they did, they were, they were wonderful to us. And um, Jeremy, Jeremy very much uh, understood that by taking care of our kids, they were taking care of him. Um, and he, he felt, he felt lucky to have such good friends, um, and family, um, supporting us during this very difficult time. And I think that that kind of, the kind of person that feels lucky when they're 38 years old with, with terminal cancer is a very special kind of person. And I think that, that the fact that Jeremy Circle still exists we are his Azkara, the memorial, the annual memorial um, is in a couple of weeks. It's going to be 15 years. And we're still talking about Jeremy and talking about the, his legacy um, um, because this comes from him. You know, he wanted to give back. He felt lucky. He was like, wow, I'd, do you think other people in, in this circumstance um, really have the kind of support that we do? And I'll have to be honest, now that I've been doing this for 14 years, I have to tell you that no, not everyone is as lucky as we are. We have families who tell us that, I mean, there's this one single mom who um, she has, she's, she's been coping with cancer for a couple of years. And she tells us that as soon as she got cancer, all her friends and family disappeared. How is that? Hap- how does that happen? But it happens. And so she sees, she tells me, Jeremy Circle is her family now. This is, they, you know, not everyone, when I thought like, when he said he was lucky, he really, we really are lucky. The people, his friends who are now the board of Jeremy Circle are gold. Pam and I, he is lucky. And, and the thing is, okay, for after 15 years, Okay, just do it. Just doing this, um, he probably foresaw that someone, someone just doing doing something like this 
he's very lucky. Also for his kids, you're telling the story, but for for like also putting a jury just on that. So helping out and getting the support is great. But like just for the just to understand after 50 years, if you would say, what would Jeremy's superpower be? What would it be? He saw good. He also he was um, a strategic consultant, and he when other people saw competitors. He saw opportunities for cooperation. He always saw the opportunity. He always saw the positive. He saw, you know, he saw he saw the good. I don't know how else to say. So that that was his that was his superpower, which optimism. But it wasn't just optimism that just sat there. It was an optimism that he acted on. Positivity. Active positivity. Active positivity. But Pamela, like what about like, you? Like, you find out that your husband's diagnosed with cancer and your mom with three kids, and you now have to be so strong for everyone. How do you find the strength? And like, where were you working when you found out? What was your life like? When we found out, um, both of us, we were working together at, um, at a startup in the ad tech industry <laughs> called My Things. Um, and... Um, And uh, he was the VP strategy and I was the VP marketing. That's how it was. Uh, um, and we took time off and, and then we just never went back. Um, and then I started freelancing because I had a family to finance, to, uh, to support. Um, but uh, um, I then moved on. I just uh, went to do freelance work, I guess, afterwards as a way of um, supporting us. But that could be even harder because being a freelancer, you now have to sort of be a jack of all trades and you have to sell yourself and you have to now deliver and execute. Where did you find the strength to do that? There's this lovely little island that I live on. It's called denial. And until I can be in a place where I can deal with my stuff, I live there. And I'm very, I'm very good there. I can get a lot done there. And I think that that is one of the things that, um, one of the things that has, have, 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 has enabled me to get what I need, get where I need to be. I'm one of those people that when, when faced with a crisis, I just do. The more I do, the better I cope. And Even, I have to say, even after, I mean, I, I often say that after, because I was freelancing, I was working from home and Jeremy was at home. So after he died, it was like, instead of having two parents at home, it was like having half a parent because, you know, I was in robot mode, but that, but that is how I did it. I went into robot mode and I continued to do, do, do. And I mean, that fake it until you make it thing that they say, um, That I guess that's I'm still doing it. <laughs> I don't know if I've made it yet, but it's but it's about it's just about doing. But there was never a stage where you felt like, okay, I'm out of denial. Um, I still really like it. I don't know if you watch the news. I, 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 I like I like my place in denial. The weather's great. Um, I think Hillary Clinton's president there. I don't remember. I don't know. I have to go see. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Pamela, you're like you're very genuine. But I have to say, you're saying something, it's, uh, you're saying denial, but like, you know, I, I love English because sometimes there's very practical words that mean so much, like the ability to respond is responsibility. 
right? So, you, you, you know, like as a genuine person, you're trying to say denial, but it's just, you know, it's just saying I'm responsible and putting your side. Just say, which is, you know, I understand what you're saying, but that's, that's actually a very entrepreneurial, um, independent, self-reliant trait. Okay, I'll take it. The truth is, is that, you know, you have to wake up in the morning when you have three kids that get, need to get to their, their different things. You have no choice. In, in my opinion, I had no choice. I had to keep going no matter, no matter what, no, um, and, and all the, the stuff, right. That, um, I, that I had to deal with, had to wait. And sometimes, and I will admit there were days I ran like two hours, you know, maybe more to just to kind of exhaust, you know, so I'd be too tired to think. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a question of, it wasn't a, I never, it reminds me, um, we were at the time we were in a big hat. We had rented a big house because we were this big family now, but, but, you know, financially things change after your husband dies and the big house wasn't appropriate. Um, but, but I remember being at the Shiva, people kept coming up to me and saying, Oh, are you going to stay? Are you going to stay? And and it took me, I don't think I realized until a year later that they meant staying in Israel. Oh, okay. Because like other people, maybe, maybe they thought that I should, you know, go pick up my children who knew nothing except living in Israel and go live in my mother's basement in back in New York or something. But I think that, yeah, I think it's all about not, uh, not dealing maybe probably that's probably a therapist might say that that was a bad thing, but just defining this is what I've got to do and I'm going to do it and I'm going to keep my eye always looking forward. But it doesn't sound like, you know, denial sort of goes hand in hand with suppressing. And I could argue that through your doing, you're actually not suppressing because going for a jog, that's an outlet. And Jeremy's circle, you can't avoid the pain when you create such a nonprofit because you're dealing with it and you're embracing others, other people's pains. And you can't be there and truly empathize with people yep. that when you're not in touch with what you're feeling. So I think maybe what you're defining as denial may, may not be so accurate in the sense that you're coping and you're not suppressing. And maybe there's some monster in your head that you're sort of feeling like you're keeping in a cage, but I'm not sure that you are. Yeah, like I have to say, Pamela, you may be the worst denial person I know. <laughs> I'm so much better you and denial. <laughs> We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. So I do think that there is nothing, there, um, there's nothing more healing than helping others. I think that when you're down, um, one way to lift yourself up is to bring someone else up with you. Um, and... Um, yeah, and I see that. I see that also. Uh, I see that. 
it was very touching for me when we took one of the, we took one of our family fun days. We were, went to the zoo, and I see this other kid, a kid. He's like an adult. He, this was an adult. He was an adult with um, with another amuta of 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 uh, kids who were clearly disabled. A nonprofit. Another nonprofit, and he says to me, Ah. When I was a kid, I used to come to Jeremy's circle. You helped my mom so much. And, and I think that when you're helped, I think that that, that teaches something. I think, when, I think it's very hard to ask for help, but when, but, but when you're on that, when people support you, like, pe- like our friends supported us, it makes it, it's like, oh, that's, that's a good, that's, that works. That works. And uh um, and if somebody supported me, I want to give back. I want to. I want to support back. And on that note, as also like a high tech marketer, you're you're working with another person that I know that really likes to empower and be really positive, which is uh, Rosie. Uh, like that's that's sort of like you know, he looks like he's headstrong, but you know, if if he gives someone else a feeling of empowerment, you know, what I mean, like it's. It, helping can be capitalistic. That's like what I would imagine you say. Like, I, how do you see the similarities afterwards bringing that also to work? Because you're talking about inspiration, but also community, which I feel, if you ask me, the biggest disaster is the fraud of communities feeling part of something, let's say, but not part of something. You're part of a Facebook group, but it's not a real community. Like I remember it, you know, like could be about Judaism or it could be about high tech or whatever. How do you feel like those communities, you can bring it actually to work? Because I know that Rosie also is very community oriented. So Rosie is the founder of the startup. Yes. Family Works, right? Yes. Wisco. Yeah. So listen, I think um, the same thing that like gets, gets me going with, with Jeremy Circle is you're driven by, some, by the fact that you're doing something good, right? Um, and I do think that um, with with Wisco, for example, it is a company that is making positive change. And it's a lot easier to get people excited and engaged and invest themselves, um, like in terms of the work hours and, and doing their best and so forth, when um, when they there's this joint belief that we're we're doing we're doing good here. This is this is this is good for the market. We're not just uh, we're not, you know, we're, of course we all want to make money, but we're also empowering, in, in this case, we're empowering publishers, but we're empowering people, we're making the market more balanced and so on and so forth. So I think that that is part of it, is that I think when you build community, it's you have this kind of um, mission, this thing that you all, that you connect with, that you believe in, and that be- if you don't have that belief, I think it's really hard to build community yeah, yeah but as a marketer he's like the professional side to it so everybody has to have that like key differentiator or that belief maybe have to have is not the right word more most of them have that now the difference is in a marketer right is i think that most people also believe that they actually want to give uh value if not today maybe future when they have enough assets now the thing is building that community you actually have to you know deliver it because it's you know a unite community it's a unity so yeah so the idea is what you're saying now is i'm sure that there's other people getting values to publishers okay what does make that value impact better why why your community 
because what happens with at Wisco, Wisco is a unique company. What it um, with 85 percent, if 85% of online advertising, because we're in the ad tech world now. So if 85% of the ad of online advertising is programmatic, what about the rest? You know, you know, publisher, there's a balance. When there's programmatic advertising, there's a balance between the advertisers are going to pay the lowest amount that they possibly can to get their, their ad out, and the publishers are going to get the highest price that they can to get to, in that in that relationship. When there isn't programmatic, it's and every nothing is transparent, then the public then then who it's not clear who wins. Nobody there's no information and and usually it's the person with the information that wins. The person who knows who who how much the ad the advertiser is willing to pay and how much the publisher is is, is how how low the publisher is willing to get. So so what Wizco does is, which is unique, it, it provides a platform so that publishers really can, um, when it comes to native advertising, where there's no header bidding, there's no programmatic, um, it's all about, um, you make, you make an, today the way it works with advertising, native advertising, which is the content recommendation, you know, if it's, you know, when you're reading, you're reading a newspaper and it says at the end, you might also want to read this. So those generally, those ads are generally somebody made an arrangement. They shook hands with somebody and they said, "Okay, I promise you, I'll get um, you just show you. You have to sign a contract saying that you won't show anybody else's ads, and I'll get you the best I can." And what is the best they can? What if it's a slow week? What if it's a good week? What if it's not? So what the the platform that Wizco provides um, is it it predicts who is going to provide the best price and then places those ads. So it's, um, so it, it, it gives more power to the publisher. The publisher then decides, has that power to decide whose ad is going to be there and, 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 and so forth. Evens, evens out the playground. Yes. Levels the playing field. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so that I think is a value that nobody else provides that really brings more balance and fairness to the online advertising industry. Do you feel like ever since your tragedy, you're more intentional on working in places that are mission-driven? Or empowerful? Possibly. Um, though one of the nice things about <laughs> one of the nice things about having a nonprofit is that you're like, okay, my soul is taken care of right now. But um, so I've had I've had I've, like in my freelance days, I've had clients that uh, were they making the world a better place? I don't know. But they were making the investors wealthier and their products were good. So I, it's OK. Um, but uh, um, but yes, I do feel I think it's always been important to me. Um, big adult, like in general, um, I don't want to walk into an office where I don't believe in what's going on. And I think that that is something that we see more and more of with, um, with, we see more, um, uh, more organizations be, um, being, being involved in the community and, 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 and kind of this relationship between the commercial and nonprofit sectors. You know, you know that Pamela is uh, well-hearted when you're apologetic of making money, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, like that's it. That's not the worst condition you should be apologetic about. That's, that's, you know, part of the playing ground. But, um, but on that sense, so like, I'm, I hear a lot of like empowering people, right? So if you empower people 
as a uh, hobby and you say your soul i'll call that a hobby because that's your outlet your thing that you do if you have spare time you want to do that you're you're working on empowerment right you're empowering right. publishers you're empowering these children you're giving the people the power right to actually be self-reliant have confidence okay why do you have that mission okay who empowered you who inspired you and where did that come from um i think it's just important that everyone is powerful and i remember being i'm one of i'm i'm one of six kids five girls and one boy and um uh and it is it is like one of those uh, um n- nauseatingly overachiever families um But uh, I remember my mom saying to me as a, as a girl, you know, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm going to grow up and whatever, I'll do this or that. And she goes, okay, but just remember, you can't rely on a husband. I remember, I just remember this being like eight. And this was a million, a million years ago, because I'm old. So, um, so she's like, you have to, you have to be able, you know, anything can happen, you know, um, and you have to be able to take care of yourself. Did you believe in yourself? I don't know. I think, I think so. I think so. I think, um, I always, I, I'm a survivor. I knew that I could always survive. I don't know if I, I was so confident that I would excel or I would be really great at anything. Um, but you'd be self-reliant, but definitely self-reliant. How did you know, where was the feedback? There has to be feedback, right? Saying you're okay. You can be self-reliant. You can be succeeding in something that you thought was really tough. It was being in a sport. It could be a teacher. It could be a friend. It could be one feedback that kind of said, you're okay. You're good. I guess it was just because I needed to be. Um, I left home. My parents were quite religious, were quite observant. And this is New York state, um, a small town in New York state where there were no Jewish high schools. So I left home when I was 13. So I could go to New York city and, and get what my parents considered a, a proper Jewish education. Um, so I was, by the time I was 16, I was living at the 92nd Street Y. You know, you don't put a kid there if you don't think that they can do it, you know? So I think my parents are very special people because not every, I don't know a lot of parents who would be willing to put their kids in a Y. <laughs> like, um, they trusted you. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess that's how I also I raised my kids. You know, you give them as much independence and you give them lots of independence. And then if they screw up, you take a little back. <laughs> But you give them the opportunity to screw up because otherwise they, you're going to be holding them up forever. Yep. So there are lots of parents that like that. It's the giving you the opportunity to screw up or to see that you can succeed at the end game. How much do you give yourself the opportunity to screw up in your career? Oh, I screw up all the time. But are you okay with it? Like, is that part of, uh, of your growth process? That's part of my growth process. I used to torture myself. Are you afraid of screwing up? I think that that's part of being in marketing, you know, part of PR, like the, the PR element is, is always having that anxiety of the worst that could happen. So you have everything prepared in case that that's crisis management. Like, what do we do if we do this? And like, so you're always like, what's the best case scenario, but what's also the worst case scenario? Let's be prepared for everything. And, um, and that, that, I mean, that's the, that's the, I guess the well-prepared marketing person, right. Is being prepared for every possible consideration and, um, and, and not getting thrown off. 
It's also yeah. the well-prepared widow because suddenly, what's the worst that could happen? Like you've been through yeah, yeah. almost the worst already. So I, I'm assuming that you know Pamela before this happened and Pamela after. Th did your sense of proportions get a hit? Like did you did you yeah. revisit proportions in life? Yeah, because um, something that ha happens to you when that happens, and I think it happens to my kids too, which is really a harder thing for me to deal with, is that. You know, we go through life thinking that eh, everything will be okay. Nothing bad can ever happen. And then all of a sudden you realize that something something bad can can happen. And that's a cruel truth. And, and, I, and, it, and it's one of the hardest things in the world for me is that my kids learn that so young. But yeah, I, I do see, I think that that's one of the reasons like my, you know, I have, um, I adopted, I remarried and I adopted my husband's children. So now there are five of them. And one of, and um so we've had we have had two two kids are out of the army, two kids are in the army, and one is about to go. And one of the things it's like uh, my son, who's in uh, he's in a in a uh, fighting unit. He's like it's Cravi light. It's like a fighting unit light. So that not to let <laughs> not to let mom worry that anything can happen. It's to better him. because it's smaller guns, you know. Like <laughs> it's, it's light. It's it's whatever. And, and again, if you're talking about that island, that denial island, again, that's, that's a very nice, like, you know, whatever's going on, my phone is on, yeah? But uh, it's, it's a nice place to be when your kids are in the army, too. <laughs> when you think of simulations, because you're telling, t t talking about good case and bad case scenarios, so you're getting your head ready, and you're saying, okay, I'll market this, and maybe this will be bad or not, you know, great. But, you know, if it's bad, this is the worst case scenario, so I'll go with it. Are you like uh, thinking your think thinking process is in bullets in your head? Is it in pictures or is it in video? Wow. It is in bullets. It's in bullets. I've got, I've got three points, three points where I'm going to go if the worst happens. And if things just kind of are mediocre, I've got those. And if things go excellent, I've got my plan over there too. It's all in bullets. So it's, yeah. it's, it's like a major practical thought. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if there's three bullets on both sides, when you simulate that, do you project statistically what is the outcome? No. No. So it's like a 50-50. So you manage expectations really well. Would you say that proportions is part of, let's say, a key factor of success for you? I think proportions, I think also um, preparation. Right. I think preparation is... is if you're talking about when things go wrong at work, if you, if things go wrong at work and you're not prepared, then like, you know, like where's the, where's the hole in the floor? <laughs> you don't even know what you learned. Right. So, right. And learning is important, but if, but if you're prepared and even if you're, you know, things didn't go the way you expected, they went uh, 30 degrees to a whole other direction, but you're a little, you can take some of that, what you were prepared for and you can use that to take action, it's, it's a lot less uh, stressful than if all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, you know, the, oh my, the thing that's a marketing person to avoid is the, oh my God, that is. Unless it's an, oh my God. We like the, oh my God, awesome. Not the, uh, uh, the one when you can't breathe. Yeah. And family, what, what would you say uh, your super app power is? I think uh, the fact that I just keep going, <laughs> I just keep doing. You're, you can't. You, I'm sorry. No, you can't push Pam down. 
You cannot. Resilience. I guess so. And your weakness, your kryptonite? Is that I keep going. <laughs> that I keep going and keep going and keep going until until I can't. Yeah, I think that that's... We see many times that the superpower is also it's the weakness. It's all the time. Yes. Always the superpower is always the weakness. So what happens when you keep going too much? How do you self-correct? Um, <laughs> working on it. I'm still working on it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. It is. Um, I think yoga is very important. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I'm still working on that. That is something that is that is one of the, the things that is a lifelong uh, journey is trying to figure out how to how to not get so close to that edge. Pamela, my favorite conversations on a podcast is always people that are super genuine. Okay, it makes people very special. It's a very courageous thing to do. And it actually, for listeners itself, I think it's most inspiring because at the end of the day, um, my dad used to say, even Churchill takes a crap. So I'm like, being genuine is really, really important with all these, you know, big stories and everything. And just keep on, you know, smiling and be genuine because it's it, it, you feel it and, and i had a lot of fun thank you thank you very much for having me and thank, thank you. you thank you for all the good that you're putting out in the world well thank you thank you very much that's all for today's episode we hope you enjoyed it if you did please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode also if you have a moment we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers.